The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Turn in your copy of God's Word now to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. And this morning I want us to look at uh, Revelation 2 and 3 as uh, we press into the Lord. Some of you might be confused. You're like, wait, we're going through Mark. We're in a series. And yes, yes, next week we will resume our study of Mark. I didn't just skip to the end. Okay, we will continue. We will come back to Mark's gospel next week. But uh, this, this week, as I was uh, preparing and uh, just in my own time with the Lord, these chapters stood out to me. You know, we are at the beginning here of a new season in the life of our church. I'm not speaking of the spring equinox by the way, and um, we're kind of in the middle of that, but in the life of our church, as a church plant, we're a year and a half old, and we've had many milestones, haven't we? Many firsts, right? First baptisms, first worship services, many, many first things. We've seen God at work as people have come to faith. We've seen his spirit move as people have been sanctified and growing in their faith, have they been baptized. We've seen uh, God at work as relationships have been reconciled, as uh, small groups and ministries have launched and grown. We've seen God at work even two years ago as we prayed for God to give us a home and we, uh, he opened up the doors for us to meet here at Fryhead Elementary. We've seen him at work, and you've prayed hard, you've served joyfully, you've given generously, and you've grown radically for the glory of God and the advance of the gospel. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so what about now? You know, as I've been thinking about the life of our church, we're an 18-month-old toddler that's learned to walk and now kind of run a little bit. It's developed a little bit of personality. We've uh, gotten into some of the cupboards at 18 months old, and we are growing. Many of you have joined us recently. Some of you, this is your first uh, Sunday with us, and you've jumped right in. But you can see evidences of it. Our Redemption Kids is bursting at the seams. Anybody been in there lately? It's a good thing we have like a big, well, actually several like cinder block walls there um, because they are uh, a rambunctious group over there, but God is doing a good work as we disciple our children. Small groups multiplying, and you know, in the midst of all the growth, we're feeling the strain of being a mobile church, aren't we? We're feeling it, uh, it, we, the setting up and the tearing down, we're much like the Israelites of old that were hucking along their, the tabernacle and every time they needed to worship the Lord, they would set it up and tear it down. But let's be reminded also of the Israelites and God's warning to them of growing in our joy of persevering through it and uh, not wishing that we were back into the land of Egypt. And so this next season is going to require us to press into the Lord. Where we are at now is, uh, is really not any more unique than any other season of life. Our command is to press into the Lord. And, you know, honestly, I'm actually quite excited and expectant for what God has for us. And I wish I knew exactly what it was, but I've been praying and seeking the Lord, especially after the last few weeks of being at the courtyard. And I've shared this with some of you, but uh, you know that just a few weeks out from Easter, we were informed that we wouldn't be able to meet here for Easter and the week after. And so if you were with us last few weeks, we were at the hotel, right? And wasn't, wasn't it awesome to worship there on Easter Sunday? Wasn't it awesome last week as we heard Eric open God's word for us? Weren't those two great Sundays? And uh, you know, 
if, if you've been with us for the last couple years, we've met there a host of different times. And after we've met at that hotel, um, we met there for our very first core group kickoff event. And God launched us into a sweet season of just beginning to meet as a core group. And then uh, two years ago, we had our first kind of preview service on Easter Sunday. And then we began to meet every week as a core group leading up to launch. And, and that was a sweet season as well. And then that first Christmas, we couldn't meet at the school, and so we met there. And then right after that, our small groups launched, and it was another sweet season as God uh, uh, deepened our community and our love for one another through those small groups, and we began to see a bit of growth. And so now here's the fourth time, having come off of meeting at the courtyard, and I'm thinking like, Lord, after we met there, each time was a really sweet season in the life of our church. I don't know what uh, the days ahead necessarily, what it will be, but I think that it will involve pressing into the Lord. And what do I mean by that? What does it mean to press into the Lord? Well, here's really what the Lord reminded me because it's really no different than what we're already doing and what the vision and mission and values of our church are. And he's reminded me of this statement. It's on the screen for you now, that the multiplication mindset never ends because the mission never changes and our 3W growth never ceases. That might be a long kind of tongue twister for you. So let me say it again. The multiplication mindset never ends because the mission never changes and our 3W growth never ceases. And some of you are like, what does that mean? Well, here's what I mean by that. The multiplication mindset is this. It's the lost saved, the saved matured, and the mature multiplied all to the glory of God. This is our vision. This is the trajectory of of our church. We want to see all of us uh, uh, growing along this trajectory. If you are here this morning and you don't know Christ, our desire is that you would know Christ in a personal way this morning, that you would repent of your sin and believe on Christ, that you would be saved, but just getting in the door is not where it ends. The saver then matured, and the mature then gave it away, and are multiplied, and multiplied again, and maturing yet again, and multiplying yet again. And so the multiplication mindset never ends. And as we move into this season, it will require us at every level to multiply, to multiply ourselves, to be giving away the gospel treasure and the gospel stewardship that has been given to you. What is our mission? Anybody know it? Brownie points, if you can say our mission, to glorify God through through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. It's the mission of every church. We just state it this way. When Christ left, he gave the great commission that we would make disciples, that disciples would be made and matured and multiplied. This is our mission. It's our mission for our church collectively and every ministry that exists here from kids to students to small groups and men's and women's ministry. This is why we exist as a church. And it will always be the reason why we exist until, as we've sung, until we hear that trumpet sound. And what are the three W's? Do we know? You've walked right by it probably as you came in. Did you notice it too? Worship Christ, walk with Christ, and to work for Christ. These are the characteristics of a person growing in the faith, of a true follower or a disciple of Jesus Christ, that we are worshiping Christ, walking with him, and working for him in our individual lives, but also as a corporate body of believers, and that we are growing in our fervency, we are growing in our passion, we are growing in our discipline, we are growing in our joy in these things, and this growth never changes. Have anybody arrived? 
Have we arrived at a perfect level of holiness? We've not. We have not, and that growth never changes. And so the wheels continue to turn even in the midst of this new season. The multiplication mindset never ends because the mission never changes and our 3W growth never ceases. And so what does this have to do with Revelation 2 and 3? Well, Revelation 2 and 3 are a series of seven letters from the Lord to seven real churches. They're a message given from the Lord to the Apostle John to these churches, and now they are for us, and they give us five lessons to press into the Lord. Five lessons to press into this Lord, and in this season, and really I would say into every season. And so what I want to do now is I want to read these seven letters for you, these, both of these chapters. In Revelation 1-3, it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Anybody want to be blessed this morning? I think, we, I think we do. So let's uh, take God at his word here, and I want to read it out loud for you. So follow along with me as I read these seven short letters that were to the churches. This is Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. The word of God says this, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antiochus, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, 
who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw her into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on, any, on you any other burden, only hold fast what I have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We continue into chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis. People have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot or cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. 
I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love I reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is God's word for God's people. Are you awake? It's some riveting reading, isn't it? There's probably a lot in there that you want to uh, untangle, and you're thinking, how are we going to untangle this in the next, like, 20 minutes, huh? Well, I'll let you know. We'll, I, I plan to have a study this week to answer any other questions if uh, you have on it, but let's dig into it now, shall we? What lessons do we have to learn from this season, from these letters that the Lord has written to these churches? You know, the Bible, your Bible may have some names included in the header. Does he have some there? Do you, does your Bible include them? Mine doesn't, actually. I've wrote these about Ephesus, just in the header, that this was the truthy church. The church in Smyrna was the persecuted church, and Pergamum was the compromised church. The church at Thyatira was the immoral church, and Sardis a dead church. Philadelphia was the faithful church, and the church at Laodicea was a false church. But what lessons do we have to learn now from these seven churches? Well, I would say this. Lesson number one about pressing into the Lord is that it starts with love. It starts with love, love for God and love for others. Let's look at this first letter back in chapter two, the letter to the church in Ephesus. See, Ephesus was a pretty awesome church. It was actually a church, if you lived in those days, that you wanted to be a part of. They actually, in their, in, in their kind of their history, uh, when John is writing this, they had some of those superstar pastors. Paul was there, then Timothy was a pastor, John himself was a pastor there, and they were a well-taught people, a well-shepherded group of God's people in this city doing an awesome work. Look at what he commends them for. They knew the truth. They were able to defend error. They did not bear with those who were evil. They were, had a rubric to uh, identify false apostles and to remove them from their midst. So much so that they even uh, were able to spot the work of the Nicolaitans. Now, the Nicolaitans here, you may not be familiar with them. Uh, church history uh, teaches us that there was, they were a group that followed Nicholas, who was one of the seven in Acts 6 that were appointed to take care of the widows. And the Nicolaitans, they abused grace. They abused what God had, uh, the freedoms that God had given believers away from the rules and regulations of the Old Testament law and just lived a licentious lifestyle doing whatever they wanted, abusing the grace of God and the looseness in which they lived. But the Ephesians here abuse truth. They abuse truth. What does he call them to the carpet for? But I have this against you in two for, that you have lost your first love. The Nicolaitans abused grace, Ephesians abused truth, but both missed love. 
And here's one of those kind of maxims of life, that truth loses its truthfulness when not covered in love. Truth loses its truthfulness when not covered in love. And so we've defined this uh, many times along the way in the last couple years. What is truth? A simple definition of truth. It is you before me. You before me. And it comes with, at its core, the heart mentality of I get to. The privilege of putting somebody else or putting the Lord before ourselves, of, of, of uh, bowing to the Lord's commands over my preferences, of trusting the Lord, of putting another person's well-being before our own. At the core, love is the expression of you before me. And we as a church here, just as the Ephesians could not, we cannot press into the Lord without love. What is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. See, the law is summed up in this one word. The Christian life is summed up in this one attitude of love. And so despite the, the, the you know, superstar pastors, despite how well they were taught in Ephesus, they missed this one important flavor. It's the ethic of love putting others before ourselves, of truly loving others, even those that we differ with, even those that come from different backgrounds, even those that are committing egregious theological errors, is even in our confrontation and our conflict should be motivated from a profound sense of love for the Lord and love for this person. So we can't go anywhere We can't proceed, we can't press into the Lord if it is not done in love. And so how do we start this? How do we we press in? Where do we go? Well, look at 2, verse 5. He says, remember where you've come in, and then here's the command. It begins with an R. What does it end in? Repent, repent. We should pray and repent. That was a joke. How do, we, how, do we start, how do we start to love? We pray and repent when we find that I am lacking in love for this person, where my love for the Lord has grown cold as we get on our knees and we pray and repent, even if we have to pray a prayer similar to Paul's in 1 Thessalonians 3, where he says, he says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus, may he direct our way to you. And I love this, verse 12, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Are some people difficult to love? Yeah, like let's be honest, like we can be real here. Some people are, sometimes we don't feel like it and so our prayer is God, make me increase and abound in love. And a prayer like that, prayed in humility with a desire to love, God will answer. He will answer. He will answer it as we start with love and then from there, look what else he says, and do the works you did at first. How do we start loving people? Well, we do the things that love does. And then along with it will come, you will feel the things that love feels. But we do the things that love does, particularly the things that we did at first as we began to follow the Lord. 
you know, think if you need uh, help thinking about this, well, what did we do at first? Think about if you're married, what you did to kind of woo your spouse, particularly you fellas, like we sacrificed, right? We served, we went out of our way, we hid all of our kind of faults because we wanted to, you know, we wanted to impress this girl. Now, I'm not saying we impress the, the Lord. He knows all of those things, but there's just an innocence and a desire and a purity to our love that we had at first. That initial zeal and exuberance when we first came to realize in our walk with the Lord that I am a sinner. And Christ went to great lengths to show his love for me in Christ Jesus by dying on my behalf. And then the things that happened specifically and providentially in your own life for you to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was a sense of awe in that. A sense of amazement that kindled and fueled our love for Jesus. And some of us maybe need to go back to just that initial exuberance to love the Lord. It starts with love. Or as we press into the Lord, as we head into another season here, we must press into the things that demonstrate our love for the Lord. Love is sacrificial, it serves, it seeks to understand, it believes the best. And when we don't know what to do, we can look to Christ and his example, who is love. And in everything that he did, demonstrated love with his life, so much so, as we've said, he went to the point of the cross. See, as a church, as a gathering of God's people, we express our love to God through our worship through coming and worshiping in spirit and in truth. We, as a church, we express our love to one another as we care for one another through small groups and as we serve alongside one another on ministry teams. As a, as a church, we express our love for the world through church planting. As we uh, seek to see other Bible-proclaiming, disciple-making, spirit-filled churches all across the globe. We do a service as we plant churches and we love our community as we do good works, as we are zealous for good works, as Titus says. We express our love, pressing into the Lord. Where does it start? With love, with love. But how does it stay then? How does it stay? Lesson number two is it stays through steadfastness. It stays through steadfastness, or said another way, faithful endurance through perseverance. Steadfastness is uh, simply defined as the resolve to keep going. The resolve to keep going, and at its core, it has this attitude of, I won't quit. And this is one of those fundamental uh, principles or attributes that we see throughout the scriptures that is made much of, of God's people, and in our present culture, it is made little of. We We are quick to quit. We move on easily. We give up far too often. And yet in the scriptures, this is the defining characteristic of God's people and godly churches. You know, of the seven churches here, did you see that as we were reading, only two were commended? Only two were commended. In in totality, that is, the church in Smyrna, the persecuted church, and the church at Philadelphia, the faithful church. And what are they told? Look at the church in Smyrna, beginning in verse 8. God knows what's happening there. He knows that they are being tried, that they are in poverty, that they are being slandered, that the Jewish people are persecuting them. 
That's what he's referring to, the synagogue of Satan, because they are not preaching Christ, they are not preaching gospel, the gospel, they are preaching a false gospel. It has, in effect, become demonic or a synagogue of Satan. It's not, they're not like specifically like lifting high Satan here, but they have become a synagogue of Satan, so to speak, because they are preaching a gospel that is anti-Christ. He knows, he knows they are about to suffer. And look at 2, verse 10. What are they told? Don't fear. Do not fear. And then later in verse 10, he says, be faithful unto death. See, we press into the Lord through steadfastness. We press into the Lord by not giving up with the resolve to keep going, to remain faithful, though death itself looms ahead of us. To the church at Philadelphia, flip over to chapter three. To this faithful church here, he knows their works. He knows that they are weak. And look at how he commends them in verse eight. He says, but you have kept my word and not denied my name. Even in their weakness, even in their poverty, they have kept on. And he says again in verse 10, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, they know the call, they know the command, then he will keep them. And look what they're told to do in verse 11 then. Hold fast to what you have. Another way to say, be steadfast. To hold fast to what they have, to hold fast to the gospel truths, to, to hold fast, picture it as somebody with literally the death grip that I will not let go, lest I let go and it all go away, but I will press on. I will keep my grip. See, within the church here, within this life, the Christian life, difficulty is guaranteed, is it not? Our faith, the church, has never been about comfort. It's never been about consuming what the church has to offer, but all across the pages of Scripture, we see the commands to endure, to be steadfast, Look what the writer of Hebrews told his listeners in chapter 10, verse 35. He says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Beloved, do we have a great confidence in the gospel? Do we have a great hope for how we live our life now, for God giving us the grace that we need to live now? And do we have the great hope of a future re reward? You better believe it. And so he says, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yell it a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. See, as we press into the Lord, we have need of endurance. Every season comes with its difficulties. Every season comes with relational strife. Every season comes with serving and the difficulty, but we know that what difficulty arises, God gives us the grace and the strength that is necessary when we serve with the power or the strength that God provides. See, it is only through difficulty that character and steadfastness are developed. This is James 1 and Romans 5. Character and steadfastness is developed through difficulty and then it is matured and it is multiplied that we might have this 
crown of glory, this great reward waiting for us. And beloved, even as we are steadfast, we are holding fast to the gospel truths and thankfully we have one another to walk through this difficult and these times together, do we not? See, it starts with love, it stays through steadfastness, but there's a third lesson here. Of the seven churches, two are commended, aren't they? But five are given the same warning. Did you notice the repetition in many of the letters? That it stops, pressing into the Lord stops without repentance. Pressing into the Lord stops without repentance. See, in, in these seven letters, there is a Schlitterbahn from, Ephi, uh, from Ephesus to Laodicea, a slippery road, a downward spiral that has multiple points along the way. So you don't just going from lacking in love to being an outright false church in the same way that you don't just typically go to murder without first having uh, anger in your heart. And there are multiple steps along the way. See, look at, 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 the, at the slide with me here. Let's just take an overview. The church in Ephesus, the truthy church, they lacked love. They lacked love. They were full of believers, believers that knew the truth, that knew the gospel, and, and, and yet they lacked love. But then the church in Pergamum was the compromising church, and look how he defines the people that are gathered there. Look at verse 14, chapter two, he says, but I have a few things against you that you have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam. And so on this slippery road, you go from a church of believers, and now there's a church with just with some unbelievers in their midst, some unbelievers that are giving way to these immoral practices here, that are using the, the words of Christ, that are using this place similar to Balaam did to take advantage of God's people. And they were compromising. And that compromising then leads to Thyatira, the immoral church, where look what he says in 2.24. He, he calls them out and he says, but to the rest of you who do not hold this teaching... And so now you've gone from a church that was full of believers to a church with some unbelievers to now in the church in Thyatira, there's just, uh, to the, the rest of them are believers. Now the majority within this church in this city are largely unbelievers. But it doesn't stop there. The next stop in Sardis, this dead church, look what he says in 3 verse 4, that there are only a few names. So now the rest, kind of the, the minority, but now there are just a few believers in the church in Sardis all the way then to the end in Laodicea, the false church where Christ is not even in the midst of them. His lampstand has been removed and Christ is here metaphorically on the outside knocking, come in. Christ is not even in the, in the midst of them. And it's a false church. But beloved, what is the way to turn around at every stop? is always the way to turn around. To keep from going down the slippery road to Laodicea. See, for the believer, repentance is, is and or should be a normal part of life in the same way that faith is. See, as we are growing, that uh, repentance and faith are the two sides to the same coin. It is the two-cycle engine of which we operate. 
And so we are constantly in need of repentance unless we continue this downward trajectory to where Christ is standing on the outside looking in. See, repentance should be a normal part of the life of our church in the same way that it is a normal part of your individual life. We haven't always done things, right? And it's why we constantly change. It's why we improve things and their structure and all that. It is a practical expression of repentance. But if repentance is missing, the warning here is that pressing into the Lord growing in our multiplication, advancing the mission, growing in our sanctification will always stop if repentance is missing. If repentance is missing in your faith, if it's missing in your marriage, if it's missing in the church, if it's missing in your workplace relationships, then Christ will eventually end up on the outside looking in. And if, you feel, if you're feeling that way, if you're feeling like, man, there's, there's just something happening here in this relationship, there's something happening in, with, with, that, 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 that Christ is not even a part of this. Well, hear Christ's words to the Laodiceans. The way the door opens is to get on your knees and repent. It's to get on your knees and repent. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Don't miss the beauty in this. Like, like, don't miss, you know, don't, don't hear me as like the fire, uh, hellfire and brimstone preacher, you know, like repent, 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 repent. See the graciousness of God. He didn't have to make himself known. He didn't have to come and knock on the door metaphorically. And yet he did. And he has. And he's made himself known to you if you're hearing my voice this morning, you have heard the good news of Jesus Christ, that Christ has died in our place, that he died the death that we deserve to die, and he made a way for us to have faith. It's by his grace that we can come to him and we can be made new. It's by his grace that there can be renewal and reconciliation in your marriage and in, in your relationships. And the way that the door opens, the way forward the way to become unstuck is through repentance. It's through repentance. And we must be a church and a body of believers that get that. Lest our pressing in the Lord hits the closed door. But let's be a people here. Let's be a people that are repenting are constantly admitting that we don't have it figured out and are keeping our eyes on Christ Jesus. And so pressing into the Lord starts with love, stays through steadfastness, it stops without repentance, but lest we think that our pressing into our multiplication, into our mission, into growing in the three W's is all about our effort, there's two more lessons for the church. There's two more lessons here for us this morning. Lesson number four is that pressing into the Lord is supervised by omniscience. By omniscience. It's on the screen for you if you don't know how to spell it. It's kind of a, it's one of those big words, right? That's a theological word. It's a, it's a tidbit. If you want to learn more about it, uh, I would encourage you to do some studies of the attributes of God this week and learn just exactly the, the heights and lengths and depths, if you can. But the, the omniscience at its core means knows everything. That God is all-knowing. Nothing escapes his attention. You know, our kids, you think that your parents know everything, don't you? 
Oh, yeah, okay. That's right. Well, God really does. God really does. And we get this picture in every single church. Look what he says to the church in Ephesus 2, verse 2. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. To the church in Smyrna, 2, 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty. To the church in Pergamum, I know where you dwell. To the church in Thyatira, 2, 19. I know your works, your love, and faith, and service, and patient endurance. To the church in Sardis, the dead church, he says, I know your works. To the faithful church Philadelphia I know your works to the church in Laodicea I know your works God knows it all he sees all our works he knows all our circumstances and he judges all our hearts and this is a double-edged sword is it not because the fact that God knows it all to the faithful this is a comfort This is a comfort to the Ephesians and the Smyrnans and the Philadelphians. What a joy to know that he knew their faithfulness. And to you who are walking with the Lord faithfully, what a comfort and joy to know that God knows everything going on in your life. The difficulties you're facing, he knows it. He's walking with you through it. Through the good things that are happening, through the situation at work or at school or with your parents or with your children, God knows these things. What a joy and a comfort that his will is being done for through your life. But to the faithless, this is terrifying, isn't it? This is a warning God knows what is happening in our life. This is why God's consequences are just in your life and in any life because he knows all the facts, all the details and doesn't even have to go to trial and call in witnesses to figure out what is actually happening. So we press into the Lord, his omniscience, is both a comfort and also a warning. He knows what we're doing as a church. He knows what lies ahead for us as a church. He knows all the circumstances and the differences to whether it is a comfort or a terrifying is a fact of our faith. Are we walking in faith? He knows, but the answer to both of these situations we might find ourselves in, whether it's a comforting thought or a terrifying thought, is to run and hide to run and to hide. Proverbs 18 says, uh, it's 18.10, it, it, it says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. See, beloved, as you press into the Lord, you run to the Lord and you hide in the Lord. You run to the Lord and you hide in the Lord no matter what we are going through. In this next season, we run to the Lord and we hide in the Lord. And we find our safety and our help and our comfort and our joy and our peace and all those things in the Lord. We find the truth in the Lord. We find our love in the Lord. Sometimes when we're faithless, the warning is because we've run and hide away from the Lord. Because the light of his holiness is shining down upon our faithlessness And so instead we run and hide from the Lord. Can I 
encourage you this morning, if that's, if you find yourself distant from the Lord and running from him to turn and run and hide in him, not away from him. And you will always find the gracious, merciful, loving arms of God that is calling you back to himself. If you come in humility, if you come in faith, see, because here's the fifth lesson it flows right into it, is that it's supplied by grace. It's supplied by grace. You running and hiding in the Lord is supplied by grace. Our love uh, is supplied by grace. Steadfastness is given by grace. Repentance is given by grace. And in the same way that each letter begins with uh, 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 the reality of his omniscience, each letter concludes with a similar phrase. Did you see it? He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There's a similar conclusion at the end. You can just take a glance at it if you want, and you can see each one. But you might be asking yourself, well, what do, what do our ears have to do with grace? What do our ears have to do with grace? Well, Jesus said the same thing in his earthly ministry when he was teaching the parables. We saw this a few weeks ago after the parable of the soils. He says, he who has ears... Let him hear, and this phrase is a reference to the believers that have been saved by grace to listen, understand, and apply the teaching of God's word. See, our ability to understand has been given to us as a gift. He who has ears, the only way that we listen, understand, and apply God's word is by God's grace. The only way that we can love, as already been said, is by grace. We don't do anything apart from it, especially pressing into it. The beautiful thing is that grace is what draws us in. It's grace that keeps us in. It's grace that takes us along. And it's God's grace that, that invites us back in when we get off, when we move away. We don't deserve it. We haven't done anything to earn his presence. And yet, because of Christ, we are supplied with all that we need to press into the days that are ahead. As you looked at your calendar this month, the month of May, is it a little bit crazy? Some are like, I haven't even looked at my calendar because I know it is and I just don't even want to face it. Summer plans coming upon you quickly? You feeling the strain of things? Let me just tell you that your ability to get through it will be supplied by God's grace. Your ability to get through it will be supplied God, by God's grace. Our, our growth, our, our, our remaining true to the multiplication mindset, our, our, our advancement of the mission of our church, our growth in worshiping, walking, and working for Christ will be supplied by God's grace. If you have years to hear, you know, for two years, we've categorized the prayers of our church into five Ps. We prayed for people people to come to faith and people to come and a place to meet and we prayed for partners and a provision into his presence and by God's grace, he has answered those and he will continue to answer them in the days ahead. God's grace will get you on and as I said, as we began, I'm eager and I'm expectant as we move into this next season. I'm eager to get back into Mark with you. I'm eager to continue growing through our small groups. I'm eager to continue serving with you. I'm eager to head into the summer for the glory of God, knowing that we are exactly where we should be. We are exactly uh, where we should be as we are heading towards Christ with love and steadfastness and repentance and how he is multiplying and growing us is unfolding 
among us, both individually and corporately. So may we as God's people, encouraged by God's word, may we have ears to hear, eyes to see, and mouths that praise the Lord. Let's pray together.